Hello, everybody, and welcome to Canines Talking Sense, your podcast dedicated to everything detection dogs. I'm your host, Cameron Ford. I am out here broadcasting from Scent City at Ford Canine. So this is episode number 54, and I wanted to do a interview with somebody from the nose work community. Uh, we haven't done a complete episode dedicated to nose work in a little bit of time, so I wanted to take this opportunity to do that. And this episode covers a couple different things from training to also the different organizations. We're going to talk mainly about one organization, and that is the USCSS, the United States Canine Scenting Sport Association. So we'll talk about them and what they do and what's different. And a little bit of catch up of what's going on right now. I am currently on a trip in England and getting to have some fun doing some seminars out here, doing cognition and odor pays. So doing what I can to stay busy, sharing that information for all of those of you who are interested in learning something new or improving on skills. Um, That's one of the main reasons why I have the podcast. So Uh, Again, I thank everybody for their interest. Um, I get some questions recently about uh, some upcoming events. So the easiest answer I always have, and now with the new fancy Ford Canine website, the easiest way to see where I'm going to be at doing seminars is just to go to the FordCanine.com website and then click on the all events and you can search by state, by seminar, things like that. But it'll show you everything I have planned and everything uh, where I'm traveling to. So speaking of seminars, coming up in March, I am going to have Michael Nesbeth down to Las Vegas, and he and I are going to do a seminar on development of puppies and young dogs, and that is for not only detection but also protection stuff. So detection and protection, how to select, how to develop that puppy, and then what steps or what things that are important to do in raising a dog to be successful in either type of uh, discipline. Uh, Then the other one is the big announcement I have. I will have Simon Prinz coming over to Las Vegas. He'll be coming over in June. We are working out the final dates now. That will also be on the website. And he and I will be traveling the summertime throughout the United States. Um, There are various uh, people that have reached out to us to host uh, both he and I at your location. Uh, We, again, are currently working out those details now. So stay tuned for the website because all of those will also be posted on the website. And if it's not in Vegas, you will have the contact information of the individual who's hosting Simon and I. So that way you can reach out to them and sign up. So two really nice big announcements there. Um, Doing some good collaboration to help everybody with more opportunities for learning and understanding different aspects of of dogs and detection work and things like that. So with that said, um, I want to, again, like I always do, give a shout out to a nonprofit. This nonprofit is the uh, New York Police Canine Foundation. They help with the retired 
police dogs in the New York area and uh, outside of that as well. But uh, another organization that is really out there helping with the retirement and care of our uh, police dogs that are in service, even when they get out of service. So shout out to you guys. Um, of course, the show sponsors, but we have a new one. We have one that's a pet transport company called Divine Canine. I can personally attest to this transport company. She has transported for me more than a few times, and I have been extremely happy with what she does. The dogs are so well cared for on the route that she takes when she's picking it up. Uh, picking up a dog for me and bringing it out to Las Vegas. Um, She constantly keeps you updated on how the dog's doing, photos, videos, and then she goes above and beyond. She gives the dog a bath, gets the dog all cleaned up the day that she gives it to you. So you're not getting a dog that's been, you know, it's like us. We've been traveling for a day or two or multiple days, depending on how long it takes. It's kind of nice to get cleaned up and, and be all nice and fresh. So, That's one of the things that she does that's different than the competitors that are out there. Um, Just to know, to have the peace of mind that these dogs, when traveling, and traveling is not always going to be the easiest thing, that, you know, Divine Canine, uh, Deirdre is is the owner. She does an amazing job of making sure that these dogs are as stress-free as possible. They're happy. They're rested. Um, So... The link will be in the show notes to her website and her contact information. But if I'm serious with summer months coming, not too long, you know, time flies uh, when these airlines are much more difficult about shipping dogs and you have to consider having a dog driven from one part of the United States to the other, definitely give divine canine uh, pet transport a look at their services because I'm telling you, it's hard to beat. So Of course, we have our staples to the Canine Talking Sense podcast group, which is, of course, Psy Canine, home of the TAD training aid delivery device. We also have Get Scent Tubes, uh, again, a great product and a tool to utilize for uh, another way of putting out odor. Um, Precision Explosives, man. Todd Wilbur has been cranking out some amazing training aids. Uh, So those of you that need some, you know, whether it be narcotics, explosives, and some other ones, give everybody over at Precision Explosives a contact or call them up, email them, whatever it is, and uh, see how they can help you get some of those training aids and really pristine and clean training aids, which can be very important. So without any delay... We're going to kick off this episode, and like I said, we're geared towards the uh, nose work side of things. We're going to talk about all the different aspects of competition and motivation and types of dogs, and uh, at the end of the day, it's all about having fun with that dog and getting out there and doing some fun search work. So, on to the episode.
Hello, everybody. I'm your host, Cameron Ford, and welcome to this episode of Canines Talking Sense. This will be episode number 55. So I decided I wanted to go into more of a nose work type episode, and I had a great guest in mind, and we had some availability to finally link up because we both travel so much, and I want to take this opportunity to introduce to those who don't know, but uh, many of you guys do know, Mrs. Natalie Dubrow. Natalie, welcome to the show. Welcome, welcome. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. You're right. It took uh, some time to coordinate some uh, one hour to sit down and chat about scent work that we're both so passionate about. Yes, exactly. So speaking of that, so I guess just for the listeners who may not have heard of you or know about your background, I mean, I know that it is somewhat difficult because I've been around the world and people, oh, you know, Natalie. So (laughs) with with that said, just talk a little bit about like, you know, uh, your background, how you started and where you are today. Well, the background goes really back, back into into the ground, so to speak. <laughs> um, I am coming from a military family, so spent all my childhood on the bases. And where do you go? Obviously, go to the kennels and observe the dogs trading. So uh, I had a special connection with the dogs as long as I can remember, which my mother wasn't very happy about because <laughs> I was bringing dogs and cats and mostly dogs at home. Yeah. Um, so. Um, obviously, I wanted to be a dog training instructor, and that, again, didn't fit well with my parents. So I became a linguist and um, trained dogs on the side. Um, and then about 20 years ago, I decided to just quit the linguistic part of my job and uh, totally devote myself to dog training because I've been doing that, like I said, on the side all my life. <clears throat> and um, I. Um, my first sport was in uh, Shutun, which mm-hmm. has, what, about five different names now in the United yeah, States. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> so, but I was not a part of those five different names. I was, like I said, an old school Shutun as a uh, discipline of bite work, uh, tracking and obedience. And I loved those combinations. It was very exciting. I always had uh, big size, large dogs, uh, started with German Shepherds, and then uh, found my... Uh, my dog, which is a Rottweiler, and never looked back. So they were my breed for till now, actually. I have a 12-year-old at home. Um, started doing a little bit more in behavior uh, because living in a colder part of the United States, you don't do a lot of trekking in winter because mm-hmm. you might need a dog to track you yeah. after snowfall. So. Um, and um, I found out that Scent work or nose work was actually very beneficial for uh, training dogs with uh, emotional issues, reactivity to the environment, and uh, uh, even building bond between the owner and a dog. Um, a lot of us take a dog for granted, but um, I see um, a lot of people not having a connection to a dog, and that's where a lot of problems actually can start. Um, so, um, Happy Dog College was born and, um, progressively I was more and more into scent work and sniffing and providing all this fun activity for people. And all of a sudden we see that 
we have a sport now. So mm-hmm. <laughs> that was even more exciting. And, um, and that's how I actually started to teach it on a more professional level with um, rules in mind, um, different drills that you actually train to make sure that you meet the goal of uh, a human and uh, K-19. And um, about six years ago, that's I would say that, no, about eight years ago, uh, most of my business started to be in scent work. Um, I still did a couple of contract jobs for linguistic arts and uh, as traveling abroad, it gave me an opportunity to talk to people mm-hmm. um, about dogs, obviously. What else do you talk about? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <Training dogs. laughs> and uh, that kind of opened the door to go into different countries and introduce the scent work to different countries, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And the first one was um, Russia. And um, that was fun. I went there for uh, three rounds and now they have their own sport that is a little bit different than um, in the United States or England. But, uh, and that's, that's the pleasure of it. Everyone can create something different. Um, that's how I started traveling and then other countries followed. Uh, then um, I found USCSS and I became the judge and chief search designer. And um, I found the ability of actually having people interested in being a trial host. Some mm-hmm. of the people don't want to be a judge because that's that's a lot of walking, that's a lot of thinking, sure. and sometimes it's a lot of pressure. So being a host, you can bring the sport. And like in my case, I have my team. We just come all together as a team. All you need to do is provide a place to host a trial, and we'll do the rest of it. So uh, with this in mind, I thought it would be great to offer to be an affiliate of USCSS and uh, see if we can spread it even more. Because, again, this is not just a sport for you to spend time and bond with your canine friend or a partner or a family member. It's something that is very beneficial for many dogs with disabilities, um, some reactivity. And so other people fall in the same category because they can, you don't have to be uh, athletic to run the dog in one or two elements, like maybe containers or interior search. Mm-hmm. Um, you come to a trial, you have some time, you run your dog, you get your ribbons and title, celebrate, go home, and you're satisfied that you had fun with your dog. Yeah. And and you brought up, you know, so a lot of people, like you mentioned, you can speak numerous languages. How many languages can you speak? Oh, my goodness. Numerous. I think it's a little bit over. Um, uh, well, let's say English, probably number one. Uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, my German is slowly dying. I haven't been able <laughs> to use it in uh, five years. The last time I was there, everyone was speaking English, which yeah. was not there. My <laughs> French, I'm struggling with my French, so I prefer to speak English. I understand I understand some, but unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> they speak so quickly. It's sure. really hard. Uh, my native language uh, is Arabic. My mother mm-hmm. uh, speaks Arabic. and. Um, I finished when I worked as a linguist. I had an opportunity to take a course in Russian. So um, again, it's also dying because I didn't have a chance to use it for quite a while. So uh, I would say I can 
I can manage a lot of three or four languages. <laughs> yeah, no, you, I mean, when, like you brought up a point, which is, you know, because you have the ability to speak in the different languages, it creates that comfortability, you know, as you've traveled to help spread the word about the sport of nose work. Um, and, you know, obviously uh, help those even better, sometimes maybe translating rules, um, understanding what the program is or what the objectives are, because it's, as I've already learned, each program, let's just do the main ones that most people know of, which is going to be NACSW, AKC, and then USCSS. And obviously the first two probably have uh, more frequently the most, I would say, a number of trials or availability. But the one thing I've got to hear quite a bit um, from just the being an outsider kind of in, even though I do judge on a rare occasion. Um, but the, I have an employee, her name is also Natalie. She's uh, been in sports for a long time. And um, one of the things that she's always mentioned is how much fun uh, USCSS was and the, the, the enjoyment of it. There's like, I guess a different vibe and goal. It's about, um, you know, there's a lot of fun factor to it, I guess is probably the best word I could describe because there's like some team aspects, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it, it's maybe not as ultra particular when it like your dog must alert within an inch of where source is at and things like that, um, which has made it you know, more enjoyable, I think. I don't know why you brought it up. This is a painful issue. Yes. How, how can you be sure that the scent is not within an inch or within a foot? Yes. I mean, this is just. This is just crazy, and people bring it up, and it just—I always want to hit somebody when I. Yeah, I'm, it's amazing sometimes, <laughs> especially not taking into consideration <laughs> the amount of time it's sitting there. I mean, every chemist right. will tell you the exactly. you know if the odor is going to travel, move, and concentrations are going to shift. And to say a dog is wrong later in the day when that odor's been out there for five, six hours, it's not going to mm -hmm. be in the exact same spot as it was when it started the day for dog number Absolutely. one through five. So that's, you know, and I, at the end of the day, like I always tell everybody, you know, this should always be about getting out and doing something enjoyable with your dog, regardless of ribbons. However, human nature kicks in and everybody has to be, <laughs> I need ribbons. I need to have, yep. you know, all these things on my wall. I need to. And that dog yep. becomes right. like a child and everybody wants to see their kid do well. So I, I get that aspect. But I mean, you know, I, I always make the analogy. I'm like, go to a dock diving event or a barn hunt event. Everybody is having a blast. It's like music's playing. Everybody's having a great old time. And then all of a sudden you go to a nose work trial and people are like in panic mode, vomiting off in the corner, you know, <laughs> so stressed out and, and their dogs. I'm not in my trial. Mm -mm, not in my trial. Yeah. Absolutely. No. <laughs> so talk about, I mean, so again, I'm an outsider, but talk about what the difference is kind of in the programs, but I guess maybe, or you can speak more specifically about uh, USCSS and why, what, what makes it fun? Why do, why does that seem to be, like I said, when I went to Switzerland, they talked about how enjoyable it was and how many of the countries around yeah, there are starting to look at that. Right. Yeah. Yep. We had a blast there and the teams there are 
it's just very enjoyable to spend the time with, and they appreciate the ability of having fun. Um, you brought the point, again, this is a painful point probably for a lot of judges, uh, stating that you have to indicate within two inches, left, right, down, forward, yeah. <laughs> which makes me really laugh every time, but it's a, it's a kind of uh, one of those laughs that you... <laughs> It, you become angry. Yeah. Because uh, it, it, it is not possible for the reasons that you mentioned. Uh, that's where the difference between the AKC and uh, USDSS uh, could be in terms of availability of the odor at any particular time. The chip search designer places the uh, training aid type, whatever you call it. And then as the trial goes on, your responsibility is to come and watch maybe an hour or two later, um, maybe a couple of hours later, maybe you feel that the wind is picking up or the sun started to hit and you know that uh, the ability of the odor to be moving around is because of the wind, uh, obviously heat and movement. So these are the most important things to keep in mind when you're setting the hive. So the chief search designer is visiting every judge and watching a couple of dogs. Or the judge can come over and say, hey, I have three dogs kind of, you know, ran and failed. The alert parameter that you told me in the morning is not really working because they're kind of moving outside. So chip search designer has an ability to set up the alert parameter for the judge to watch the dogs and take it as a yes or no. But like we said, um, especially outdoor, especially when you had a shade, now it's not, now it's blasting sun or the wind picks up so my job would be to go around and watch and if i see that the indication um, of dogs are kind of shifting toward one side or the other i will readjust my parameters just to make sure that we're going with the current situation that allows to dogs are the judges not us mm-hmm. <laughs> they tell them that's where the odor is located so that takes a lot of pressure off the judge and people feel that they were treated fair because, again, what you had in the corner at 8 o'clock in the morning when it was slightly raining and it's 12 o'clock and it's hot and humid, yeah. it probably might be a couple of feet away. Well, not a couple of feet, but somewhat away from that placement. So that's the main difference between AKC and USDSS. But we need to remember that AKC is somewhat um, new in scent work. And the way they started was not the way to start. And again, I'm not up in the ranks up there who decides that. But um, what they did right was to provide judges with the education of um, high placements, of rules, cleaned up a lot of language that was hard to understand and was perceived by many people in different ways. Yeah. So they are moving in the right direction. And yet you still have a lot of, stressed. Like you said, people are stressed and um, angry and uh, some of them are not doing well in those trials. And in USCSS, we just come and have fun. And I, I think it also is a responsibility of the host to provide this kind of attitude. And uh, when I do working, I usually tell people that we're here to have fun. If you don't know how to have fun, I'll tell you how to do that. Just come over and I'll explain that. Sure. <laughs> so, uh, you're not losing your mortgage. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to lose the mortgage, though. 
not your car. I'm not going to take your dog. So you'll just have fun. Yeah. And if it didn't this time, you'll just come back and I'll get you. If, if the ribbon is your goal, here's the box. Yeah. <laughs> no, and that's a good point. Now, I know another thing that um, is very much liked is the like team concept. Um, explain a little bit of that because that's still also something new to me. So I'm interested in as well, mm-hmm. where yes. I guess yes. Um, yes. multiple competitors can compete together mm-hmm. as a team. Yes. What you're talking is one and only feature of USDSF. We offer uh, games. To actually go out, have fun, and get ribbon or two or three or four, and then get a title. Mm-hmm. We're the only organization that actually provides you with even more fun. Uh, we just got a new game that uh, I was able to uh, offer to my competitors um, last week. We had a trial, and uh, the name is uh, Copycat. So there is no uh, provided start line. Uh, you have an area with one or two hides, and we use one because it's a brand new game. So um, you decide where you want to start your dog. Uh, you pick up the skill that your dog is the strongest. Maybe, you know, the distance is not something that the dog is able to work under certain conditions. And you know that sending a dog on the longer side of this area, say, um, is not going to be successful. So you decide where you start your dog. Once you give a cue, you kind of stop doing anything. You're just standing there, not talking, not doing anything you're just holding the leash if we are in an area that you have to have a leash so uh, the dog has to go out and find hide indicate by however the dog does that the judge says alert then you can start moving you come alive you go celebrate with your dog and um, give a cookie and such so this is a perfect game where you actually can see that the handler bias is either there or not (laughs) and it was fun to see how many dogs have to here in the queue, go find it, uh, looked at the owner, looked around, sat next to the owner, and continued sitting there for two minutes, <laughs> doing nothing. So, but we actually had a few people that uh, ran three games and titles. So I was really, it, it was just fun to watch. Oh, yeah. uh, there are other games that USCSS offers, and the one that you were mentioning is the Team Spirit. So the team spirit is exactly that. You work as a team. And as a team, you have to make a strategy how you're going to clear the area, find all four hives, and um, do it in the most efficient way. So um, what do you do? You set up four hives. You have four teams, um, a human and a dog. And then they have to discuss how they're going to do that. Again, it's a strategy game but you're also timed. So, and if your team is, maybe you have a super fast dog and maybe you have a very green dog. So you need to decide how you're going to search those four hides because you need to find them in, say, four minutes and each dog has to find one. Mm -hmm. And if you didn't find, then you didn't win. So um, a lot of people get very competitive and you were right. A few years ago, I had a trial where the team was not happy with one person. <laughs> they forgot how to have fun because the person went out and spent most of the time and found only one hide at the end of the, I think it was minute two and a half. So we had three dogs that hadn't run yet. Obviously, they they were not very successful, but they learned the lesson. Um, another game is uh, Hippa Hide. And uh, as the name 
service, you have up to 10 different locations with Hive, you need to find it as quickly as possible. Um, another game that I really loved is uh, uh, Ludicrous Speed. That's, that's always one of my favorite games. Uh, you start the dog with your queue, go find it, let's say that's your queue, and we have two timers. One is going to have a full time, and let's say I have five hives, you need to find, and um, I gave like three minutes. So the first hide has to be found in 45 seconds. Mm. So once you found the hide, you say alert. I say yes. You get a treat. You treat your dog. The dog swallows the treat. So the timer waits till you restart your dog to find your second hide. So uh, my my timer for the whole time of the game is still running. Remember we said we have four minutes. So the person has to find the second hide within 30 seconds. And that's where all the skills come to play. If you didn't find second hide, you're done. But you never lost anything you didn't in queue in a way because you still have points that go towards your um, overall achievement. And you had fun and you learned that, hmm, maybe I'm too slow. I need to uh, ask my instructor, how do I do that um, quicker? Sure. So, um, And in this game, I can set up 10 hides. That's the total. But obviously, I won't give four minutes. So you can kind of think about what you hear from the judge, how many minutes you are given, and you just go from there. Again, it's all experience. Like everything else, it's um, a learning experience and training, right? Absolutely. And it's about showing the dog these different experiences, which all in all helps the dog be better, not only at these skills, but being better at being a dog, having the fun of challenging, in this case, scent work puzzles um, and navigating their environments and sometimes maybe even environmental conditions, all of which, you know, help the dog be a better, more well-rounded dog. So all of that is really good. And and like you said, the parts that, you know, the goal to make it fun you know, to make it enjoyable because, you know, there's a thing um, I share in my cognition class and it's a, one of these recent episodes on Netflix called explained. And on this series explained there's, I think it's season three, episode five or six. It's the series or it's the episode on dogs. And on that episode, um, they talk about all kinds of things, dogs. And there's a lot of people, and some of them have been on this podcast. There's Dr. Cindy Otto on there. There's Clive Wynn. Mm-hmm. There's a few mm-hmm. others. And there's one segment in particular where they talk about the stress scent and then the happy scent of the humans. And they show in the video or in this show the dog that smells the stressed human odor or scent then reacts almost in accordance. The the dog gets very stressed itself. It kind of retreats into a corner of the room. And in this room, I should preface that this room has two people in it. And then the smell is on a gauze pad in the middle of the room. And they took the samples from people when they were stressed and when they were happy. So the dog comes in, kind of smells that that, uh, scent in that little Petri dish in the middle of the floor, and then reacts. So if it's stress scent, the dog actually shows stress and kind of moves away. The happy scent, the dog goes to it and then goes to the nearest person, like climbs on their lap and wagging the tail. And and what they were showing was how the dogs were 
you know, empathetic to us and react to yeah. our, and we, we've known yeah. this, but it was never truly tested or measured, uh, you know, until something like this and some other tests that are out there. But so I tried to relate this to the students who go through classes with us is if training, you're always happy and you're having a great time. There's that odor and that, and that, that sentence coming off of you and the dog's having a great time. And when you go to a trial or you do something and you are stressed, your scent is being pushed out in that way and the dogs are reacting accordingly. So Absolutely. you're creating a completely different picture in which the dog doesn't know how to operate anymore because that changes the whole, the whole atmosphere for the dog because uh, all three, three months you've been training for this trial, you were all happy having fun. And uh, all of a sudden, you're just that robot that emitting this stress signal. The dog doesn't know what to do. Absolutely. Yep. That's absolutely true. And it's an uh, old wife's tale. As they said, the dogs know how to smell fear. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's not fear they smell, but it's pretty close. Yeah. No, and, and we always say it, you know, uh, there's a common saying uh, in the professional dog world, and I know it's in the other aspects too, that, you know, you know everything travels down leash. So, right. you know, right. your behavior right. is traveling down leash or your what you're going through, which is what the episode kind of ends on is that dogs have empathy. And that is a feeling that isn't common with other animals towards us humans. And it's Absolutely. what m- makes dogs very unique and why, you know, when I do my cognition classes, I talk about this and understanding how our dog's brains work. And one of the most unique characteristics is there is no other species out there that has the ability to read human communication and intention better than dogs. Not even our closest genetic relatives, chimpanzees, bonobos, and so forth. They don't have this, this ability. So this dog uh, who's we've brought into our house, brought into our rooms, our beds, sleep with us, all this kind of stuff. And then we do these fun, amazing things with them, let's say like nose work and scent work. And, but then we put ourselves into these situations where it becomes more about a human desire to win than it does right. about the goal of having fun and being out there with our dogs and just enjoying that no matter what it is. I mean, even in the, you know, again, as I watch, you know, the people that work with me that compete in sport, I watch them stress out just trying to get into a trial. And they get, I know. they're I like, know. yeah. <laughs> That's a sad part. The, the stress starts there. They haven't even gone anywhere or done anything yet. They exactly. are. They are already stressed out because they were trying to get into a trial. Now, whether or not it's a business move in various organizations or not to, you know, create what I call like the Apple effect. Oh, look at that. We only have so many. And it drives that that desire to, oh, I don't want to, that, that we call FOMO, the fear of missing out. They don't want to yeah. miss out. So then they everybody is ready to pounce on anything that's offered at all. And when you look at it as a business model, it's a fantastic business model. People say they throw money at it because they want every opportunity they can get to go get their, their titles, the points, whatever it is. And 
again addiction exactly yeah. yes like addiction and you need to you need to have it whether it's right for you or your dog or not yeah so my thing is you can if your goal is truly to get out there and have fun with your dog you don't need a trial to go do that what's nice about the trials is it's something different new places and all of that is fantastic and that's kind of what i ask the handlers that i work with always look at it that way and then if they're really serious about competing and things like that, well, then when we're in training, I will apply techniques and training procedures that will help you go through stress in training. So that way you're more comfortable with it. It doesn't affect you when you go to a trial because now you kind of know what it's like. Your, your body's kind of used to it. You've gone through those things. And then you've, again, I've instilled in you that it's about fun. And at the end of the day, you're just out there to have fun. I will give you like stressful search areas. I'm not going to give you information. So those things will elicit some stress out of you. Um, and, and that's, of course, what we want. I want you to go through the pressures of what trial is like. You know, I laugh, right. you know, many times in training, people are so fast to call an alert. But all of a sudden at a trial, they it takes them five minutes to call an alert. And I'm like, <laughs> isn't wait. that amazing? So true. Yeah. And then the dog offers like, oh, you didn't like this one. How about this one? Exactly. And then they get all upset. You know, they, they come back from, from the trial and go, oh, so we need to work on X, Y, or Z. And I always joke around. I'm like, that's actually not the problem. The problem was, you know, you had rushed through your training and you weren't ready to go to trial. I mean, that's also the other thing to kind of talk about, you know, is their peer pressure from others. Like, oh, we're, uh, we got in the trial. Why didn't you, you should get in there. You, your dog is only four months old, but you should start, you know, going for trials now. And you're like, well, I can't compete until I'm six months old. But the dog too. Yeah. Right. It depends on the dog and people too. I had, I have a, a lab in training and um, two years, three years ago we started. And he, he's just, he's one amazing individual. We only had four classes, and the owner said, oh, I want to have a trial. So I was a little bit thinking, like, mm, is this the right reason to get in a trial? But they're actually going there to have fun. He's so in love with everything he does with his dog. This dog actually titled after four classes. That's <laughs> a good dog. Blown away. Yeah. And he, he was just having fun, and so was the owners. And then, um, then they didn't find a couple of things, but... The owner was so thrilled just to do that. And uh, now he's just, he blows my mind. Every time I come and train with him, it's just the whole atmosphere with that. So sometimes you need to ask yourself, what am I doing the trials for? Am I trying to be number one in the country? Or am I trying because my dog loves the time with me? Or I love my dog and do stuff with them. So, um, but you also run into individuals that stress out no matter what. Yeah. yeah, you see them in training. You set up because in my classes, I never tell people where the hides are, mm -hmm. and sometimes I set up maybe fifteen or twenty hides, and that gives me an opportunity to see where each team is in terms of the skills and what I need to work with. So, um, if they miss a certain amount of hides and a certain placement, that tells me that there are a couple of skills we have to work with. So, my my students. They actually don't have a stress of, where's the hide? Can you tell me? I, mm -hmm. I need to, well, if I tell you where the hide is, you're going to kind of herd your dog right in there, and then you point it with your finger, and then you give a cookie to your dog for finding it. No. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> um, training, I think, I think that applies 
to everyone and each of us individually, how do you deal with this? And uh, I think we need to ask um, an honest question. What What is it in a trial that I'm trying to get? And why am I doing that? Because at the end, again, that's the dog that kind of has it at the yeah. end. Yeah. And, and you know, you, these are all important things that are, you know, that should always be part of a discussion with a handler and trainer uh, as they get into these programs. Because, like you said, there's, lack of a better term, there's an addiction to it. No doubt about it. You know, there's this, you know, I've got to get into this. I've got to know information um, you know, about training and there's, you know, there's so many different, you know, avenues of this conversation could, could go. Um, and there's only so many minutes of time, but you know, That's one fair. of the, I would say one of, you know, a good conversation that a lot of people that get into this, uh, want to, if everything is about a win and, and I get that, you know, and I want the dog to be successful, but there's also learning and learning also requires us to be in uncomfortable positions. So like you said, not knowing there's something there also no odor present and how do teams deal with that? What are, what are some of the things that you see? Do you like it? How, how do you like the uh, impression on the face when you say, um, well, we're going to do blank searches and you have fear coming over the Uh face. What do you mean blank? There's nothing there. Uh, exactly. You're just going to go there and celebrate of finding nothing. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then, yep. Uh, I was saying that, and you do a couple of those, and then sometimes you just say, well, we might do some blank searches, and you might place one there. And then the dog is obviously indicating, and you see a person saying, like, uh, you, said, you said there's nothing here. What is your dog saying? <laughs> I love those as well. So, oh, yeah. Uh, I think um, being an instructor, you have to actually see where the team is in terms of not just the maturity towards the trial, um, but their nervous disposition towards things. And uh, I think we have to think about how to prepare them to be better, not to find it, but to be better in handling situations that you might find yourself at the end of your two minutes or three minutes or whatever search you're doing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and you know, that you said it really well. I love seeing sometimes the reaction of uh, the teams when they first realize what their dogs can do that they didn't think they could do, like a blank area. Mm-hmm. Um, or a, a hide that's inaccessible that they haven't been exposed to yet. And watching them be surprised by really something that we all know our dogs are, which is amazing. They have these amazing skills. And a lot of times because training had been set to always be fairly easy or to be a win, things like that, that has created that the aspect where people were like, oh, well, I want it to be you know, enjoyable and exciting and fun. And then all of a sudden they don't know where their dogs are at because they haven't pushed their dogs far enough yet. Exactly. That's true. That's true. Absolutely true. So the, uh, you know, as as a trainer, just like you mentioned, the goal is to be as creative as possible. And I like, you know, coming up with, you know, fun and unique things where it challenges 
more so the human than it does the dog. The dog, in many cases, when I create something, uh, I know the dog can do it or the dog will be, you know. I think they're able to do that after like, what, five classes. Yeah. (laughs) They know what they're doing. Oh, yeah. (laughs) The rest of the human. Absolutely. And it's always <laughs> when I ask, when you travel around and I ask, you know, I'm doing these seminars, uh, what is your dog or like, what is the biggest things you want to work on? And the answers always come back to the human side of the, of the equation. And because we are the biggest problem. And um, this leads to one of the other questions, because this is very common in the sport world, where you know, my joke I make is how many here just do nose work? You know, you guys don't do anything else. And of course that never, there's like no hands that go up because the average person with their dog does three to five other things uh, besides nose work. And what becomes difficult is these other programs actually create some conflict uh, for the dog when it comes to going back to doing nose work things, because in these other programs, the dog is very interactive with the handler. The handler is very interactive with information towards the dog. And then all of a sudden when we go to nose work, that is completely gone. So is that something that you've seen quite a bit too with, in your experience? I see that when I have, uh, I have teams coming from a, an experienced dog maybe the dog that has uh, obedience. I would say that obedience dogs have a lot of, I wouldn't say a lot of, but they have problems um, in distance searching. And then when they run into a problem, uh, maybe the puzzle is a little bit too much for them and they're not ready for that. They uh, ask a lot from the handler. So, um, yeah, if you have experience in a different sport, it could be a hindrance, but um, I mean, if you know how to address that, it's not that complicated. Dogs are amazing. It's the human side of the leash that is struggling mostly. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, and that's one of the things. Again, it goes back into that cognitive class that I do. The, it highlight, There's one particular test that really highlights what you just brought up. The dogs that are very collaborative with their handler, whether it be because the dog has done service dog work or the dog is uh, extremely well-trained in obedience, the dog right. has learned the human gestures or positions always have a high level of value and or reinforcement depending. And all That's of a sudden, true. when That's there's, absolutely. yeah. Mm-hmm. And when there's nose work, we, mm-hmm. we aren't able to, we don't know anything, but right. where the trick or the problem comes into play is when the handler thinks there's something in an area or a spot. And then all of a sudden these body language cues start coming out of us to like, why aren't you alerting yet dog? Or why did you, you know, Mm -hmm. sniff longer here? And it's something that I, again, I see in a cognitive test that shows itself really well when all of a sudden they're doing a blind search and the handler has a belief or thought of this is where odor's at and they haven't put themselves in those positions yet. Yeah. Exactly. And, and it's, again, it, it is so, the point is really interesting here is that you can take any breed and look at the experience and learning that the dog had through their life. And then you move maybe the sport, maybe agility is too much now because you have an older dog. And 
all these directional cues that you were training your dog with are still present because the dog knows just that. And I, I see it quite often. I will never remember the uh, trial a couple of years ago. Uh, there was this, uh, I can't remember that. I think it was, okay, I remembered. Uh, it was a border collie and uh, she was 12 years old. They retired from agility um, a few months ago because the dog had some problems with uh, the back. Mm-hmm. And being as active as she used to be, um, she decided to try scent work. And she uncued the first time, and we had back-to-back setting. It was a it was an interior search. And what I noticed is that dog is watching was watching her owner's feet. Oh yeah. <laughs> the dog found the container. Oh, it was a container, and then the interior. The dog found the container, but as the owner was approaching, um, she kind of passed the dog, and the dog moved on. And I saw how clearly it was visible that the dog was looking for the feet. So the odor didn't have enough value, though the dog was phenomenal. So she enqueued again, and I told her that you need to watch where you're going because she's watching your feet like this is the main thing, this is the most important. And she looked at me like, yeah, we had agility for like 10 years, so she always watches my feet. I said, well, this is something to remember because the next search, I would like you to do something different where your feet out of the way or your feet are not moving when the dog is working. You need to disconnect that connection to your feet because obviously they were telling the dog that I go there, you go there too. And she actually cued. She came back like, oh my God, thank you. But I never thought about this. This is true. This is absolutely true. Oh, yeah. So, go ahead. Yep. You have to uh, think about where the dog came from. Like with my boy, he's turning 12. I did those cognitive games, uh, condition games. Uh, 10 years ago, he was probably 11 almost. And uh, I still have his profile from that time. And then, um, <laughs> never fail. And then uh, <laughs> I even did his uh, profile again uh, about seven months ago. And the difference between what he had when he was uh, 14 months old and now when he was almost 11. They are so different. It's it's just hard to believe it's the same dog, especially in empathy. Uh, mm-hmm. When I compared him reading my body, he was like, oh, whatever you're doing, I know it's not really interested. You do your stuff, I'll do my stuff. He was not into me at all. Uh, he had some problems once he was growing up, let's put it this way. And uh, now he's so intuitive, so many things I don't even have to say. All I need to do is just, you know, wave my hand or point my finger or just say a word or half a word. He already knows. So, um, again, as instructors, I think we need to keep in mind where the dog is coming from and what kind of relationship and training experience and learning um, they had. Because, again, you present challenges from agility where you're running with your owner and you're watching for cues either I, I'm not doing agility because just looking at the course makes me dizzy oh, yeah. so I don't know how these people do that so uh, then you go into nose work and all of a sudden you're not present so um, it, it it has to be addressed from the very beginning so you're removing a person from running the show as you used to so the point that you brought up is very valid and very important 
and and I want people to remember too, you know, like you said, there's nothing wrong with doing the multiple programs, but what they have to remember is just like you brought the time. There's a reinforcement history to certain types of aspects of right. communication right. or history um, to the dog that will be what it defaults to because of that in-depth reinforcement history for whatever it is. Let's just say it's a body language cue, a point, or like you said, your foot movement or things like that, body positioning. And that history is years of time. And the the new aspect of detection has only been, they've only been doing it, let's say for a year or maybe a little bit more, but that doesn't have the level of history, especially exactly. with a dog who's strong in memory. If the dog is exactly. strong in memory, and it has numerous years and repetitions with reinforcement history towards a certain type of skill or communication aspect. Then all of a sudden when we go into detection where now, again, like I said, the handler isn't the source of information. The dog has a internal conflict sometimes going, okay, what is it that you want from me? Is it this? Is that's, it that? Yeah. So that's true. And then you add a component of stress because, when the owner starts to stress out because they feel that time is ticking away and I'm not finding anything, the dog is sniffing and searching, and I'm not sure what's going on. So they start to stress, and that actually, actually, even worse because you could see a dog, like, like we discussed before, picking up on stress signals, and uh, your VOCs are changing, you bring things a little bit different. So the dog starts to stress out. And uh, I've seen quite a few dogs actually coming over to the owner and start healing with them. So mm-hmm. they're performing a heal routine instead of searching, and the owner doesn't see that. And uh, I actually voiced my opinion that your dog is not working because he's doing a heal work. Look how beautiful he's healing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you need to you know, breathe in, breathe out, have fun. So they start your dog and go have fun. Stop stressing out. Exactly. exactly. No, they, they definitely do. And again, you know, Back to our point, let's make nose work fun again. <laughs> True. Yeah, let's, and I do. Yeah. This is my goal in life, to make it fun. Have fun and laugh. And, you know, you fail, you still laugh and uh, just enjoy yourself. You will have another trial. Yeah. You need a ribbon, go get it. Yeah. Go tell my child that you want two ribbons. She will give it to you if this is your goal. Yeah. No, and, the, and again, <laughs> the dog is what's having fun. You know, that's what we mm-hmm. really, really want is we want that dog sure. to, you know, be out of the house, be out doing what it does, dog things. And what's the number one things that dogs do? Use their nose. So right. why not, you know, it, allow ourselves to enjoy that and, you know, build upon that relationship that's based on something exciting, enjoyable, and we get to do this together. And of course, the fun part, you know, I like is you know, it's like solving a puzzle, but I have the dog to do it for me. So the more that me and my dog are having fun, you know, I'm not going to win every time. I'm not going to, I might miss numerous things, but if I had fun. Yeah, what, what, what fun is it to win every time? Yes, I mean, exactly. Who wants that? No. So <laughs> it, it should be what we're talking about. Now, um, one of the things I know that, uh, you know, every program evolves and the uh, USCSS has definitely been one of these ones that, you know, started off as kind of like the new kid in the block. And I would say he's probably taken some lessons learned from other programs and stuff for themselves. What 
has been some of the things that are changing that are, you know, becoming, um, I would say easier or maybe matches the things that people really liked in other programs. Is there anything that you guys are doing that's going to kind of, uh, kind of what's the evolution of the, of the program? Uh, I would like to say that when UCSF started and I was, I was looking into actually joining some organizations uh, because I wanted to be a host first and foremost. And when I read the rules, and then I read the games. That was that was it. It was I I just bought the tickets and went to have a two day class or three day class, whatever we had there. Uh, passed my test for both judges and CSB, mm-hmm. and I never looked back because from the very beginning, just reading the rules, you could see that it's it's a very relaxed, very uh, fun organization that offers you know no stress fun time because you can have potlucks if you want to um you can have whatever you want it's it's right there so Mm -hmm. the host is responsible for providing fun um yeah there are some competitive people and you will have those that are a little bit tight in terms of i want it and i want to win and i am going to do that no matter what but even i had quite a few people um as hosting the trial but you could see at the end of the day how they just you know relax and laugh because the atmosphere we have is just that have fun um talk to everyone watch the dogs um go run it without any pressure and uh, the other thing in USDSS is that you have number of points that go with you your dog your trial your ribbon your title rosette that's your banking so in a way, you will never lose because the more you compete, the more you run, the more points you will get. So that's another aspect that uh, I think puts those people at ease that are actually very ribbon-oriented. Sure. So it's it, it's just different. And again, ATC will make it there. I think the start was a little bit rough with the terms of um, hiring judges without professional background sure. um, because I understand that you are judging agility, but agility and sense work <laughs> are two different animals. Things, yeah. I will never, ever <laughs> apply to be a judge for agility mm-hmm. not <laughs> in my uh, whole life because it's a completely different world. Oh, yeah. And, and high placement takes some skills and knowledge um, and experience, obviously. So, um, But they are moving in the right direction. But again, the stress level is probably the the worst part, and ACSW is the same. Um, there's, I find them a little bit rigid. Nothing against this organization; it's sure. just the way it's run. I think they're a little bit tight. Um, more official, I would say. Yeah. Um, and maybe again, we have different types of people, and some people like that. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not that one. I just I just want to take my dog and have fun. Yeah. That's what I'm looking for. No, and I think you're exactly right. I think there's definitely the people who, you know, um, do well with very, you know, procedural type uh, environments. The This is how it's going to be here. This is going to be always this way. There's going to be this, you know. So it's very predictable. And not that UCSS doesn't have that. It, it does. But, you know, 
for example, if uh, like both pro or all programs have the ability to have dogs that are maybe been a little more nervous or reactive. So uh, if if your dog, you know, has the red scarf on, people will kind of know, okay, no, no big deal. I'll I'll give you your space, let you kind of come and go. And, you know, and that's important. That's, you know, somebody who may be nervous, like, well, I I would love to go, but I don't want people just approaching me randomly and and not know what this means. And for those dogs, it's even more important to be able to do that. Sure. Like mentioned before, I, taught sense work, nose work to dogs with reactivity issues. Uh, the issues that they couldn't deal with the environment. Um, they couldn't really concentrate on the owner. And that gave them the outlet. So I think this sport is even more so should be friendly towards the dogs to give them an opportunity to realize that the world is not as scary as they think. Sure. So and yeah, having this uh, ability to bring a dog that is not very um, shy or maybe a little bit reactive towards um, black dogs, big dogs, whatever dogs. Sure. Uh, being able to compete helps both because I work with owners with behavioral problems of the dogs. It's it's not a nice place to be. It's yeah. it's very draining. It's very difficult. It's heartbreaking, and sure. they are trying. So I I hear what you're saying. Yeah. No. And the you know, like I said the. There's going to be, no matter what organization, you definitely have your rules. You definitely have your procedures. Um, some are going to just be more stringent than others. Uh, like we talked about, whether it be how your dog has to communicate to you that it found it or where it's at when it finds it. Um, so the other thing that comes up, uh, and, and you can address this, how frequently will the USCSS start having trials? Because I know, obviously, we talked about making the joke was, you know, everybody wants to get in and go trial. Um, what's the availability? How often and where do they go to go look for these things? Or even how to host um, them? Well, there are a few ways of doing that. I am a regional coordinator. And uh, I'm responsible for the areas from uh, East Coast almost to the mid and down to South Florida. But the availability, you just need to find an affiliate or become an affiliate. And if you want to become an affiliate and you're thinking about becoming a judge, uh, just contact me. I'll come and help you. I'll set you up. I'll show you what to do. And you go ahead and do trials. Um, If you don't have judges in your vicinity or area, I'll bring my team. We'll do the trial for you. Um, so it's it's pretty easy. Just go on the website. It's all there. Um, also, the trials are available. As I mentioned before, I can do a trial every two weeks mm-hmm. if we decided to. We do it once a month. So and we do travel. We pick the area. Like last time we had it in the park. The time before we had a fire station with all those. Uh, trucks and equipment it was super fun so we always try to find a place to do that and that makes it different i see that ATC clubs actually started to go this direction as well and they are trying to find a better place other than the club because let's face it if you train in the club if you place your hides consistently then you run your trial you're not doing a great job because first of all your dogs that trade there, they already know where the hides will be because humans are so predictable. So uh-huh. I can assure you, you place that hide in that place probably 25 times. <laughs> <laughs> and the contamination area, because 
again, the dog needs to know when the odor pays and when it doesn't because the availability of the odor, the contamination level in clubs that train nose work is not really what you'd like to have the trial. So I see a lot of clubs actually hiring out um, and looking for places, which is good. So um, as far as the how many trials and where, it will all depend how many affiliates you have there, how many uh, judges you have there. But again, I want to stress out. If you don't, don't stress out. Yeah. Find me the website. Uh, find me somehow. I'll come and set you up. That's what I do. Yeah, well, you're giving me the idea. I think what I'll probably do is I'll have my Natalie, who works here, reach out to you. And I think we should plan something for the Las Vegas area because we have a lot of good venues that I get access to just because of the you know police professional side. And right. since most of these things are on weekends, some of these places I know we could get are, are going to be easily available. So I'll just put that out now is uh, obviously we'll be in touch and I'm going to try to get uh, this rolling over here. So by maybe the spring before it gets too hot out here, uh, maybe we'll get something set up where uh, we get to have our first trial out in this area and that'll at least get people who, you know, want to come out and do something different and, and title with a different organization or start the process. Uh, they could come out to this. And, you know, I recommend anybody else, you know, who's listening, uh, if you are in your area, uh, reach out to Natalie, no matter where it is, because that was the one of the things when I was in Switzerland that they mentioned specifically was how easy Natalie was to set up, get how she'd come out just like she said with her team and gets it all going for you. They, they do the, a lot of the legwork. This is what they do. They're good at it. They know it. They just need to know the areas that are available and work with you to get it set up and off it goes. And then it's again, all about fun. And, um, so how, what's the, to get this ball rolling for those that are interested or those that just even want to go to a trial, um, and I'll put the sh- I'll put the website and so forth in the show notes. But how do they get a hold of you? What's what's your email? And if you have a website, what's your website? My website is under construction. I am ashamed to say that. <laughs> it all takes it's all ready, and my developer is not very happy with me because <laughs> I do finish the writing and put the videos together and send it over. That's the only holdup, and it's been like three months that I promised. I'll come back to the United States and I promise it will come next morning. Sure. Again, it didn't happen. So uh, the best way to reach me is either through uh, Facebook, uh, Natalie Dubrow, or you can write me an email. Again, it's Natalie Dubrow at Gmail. It's N, then my last name, Dubrow at gmail.com. And uh, that's my working email right now. And I promise that eventually I'll finish my website. (laughs) I don't know when, but it will be working. And and I will, like I said, I'll put that in the show notes here. And then for everybody listening, if you go to the Ford K9 website and by next month, Natalie is going to be one of the instructors. So some of the materials that she talks about, whether it be, it's going to be in a webinar type format, but it'll, she will be one of the instructors covering various topics that she is passionate about and shares information on frequently. That'll be there too. So that's just another resource to get to know her, to see how she trains and to make contact with her to, you know, build whatever you want to do when it comes to nose work in your area, or just to have somebody else who's just as passionate as you are about the sport. So, 
Um, like I said, we'll have that, you know, up and running before too long. Uh, maybe we'll coincide. I, I have a feeling the, <laughs> we'll have your online materials on the uh, website and then it'll be a good motivation for your website to get up and running too. Oh, I promise to do that. I, uh, like I said, I don't have my own dog. My schnauzer passed two years ago. She was my demo dog and, uh, I'm still not in the right place to have another dog for demonstrations, but sure. I have, I have good dogs here that, uh, I have two assistants that have spectacular dogs I, uh, use for demonstrations and videos. So now that you kind of put me in the corner, I would have to actually start moving that track. <laughs> I might've done that for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> well, in, in, we have to finally also get out and, and do some uh, seminars together. You know, COVID wrecked the plans that we had initially. We were going to definitely get out there and have some fun and do that. And I know we will get back to that now that things are starting to loosen back up again. So uh, on my end, I look forward to being able to work with you in the future as well. Likewise. So, well, thank you very much for taking your time to talk nose work and uh, help, you know, educate people on one of the newer programs that are out there and uh, being available to those that, um, you know, really want to get out there and have fun with their dogs in the sport of, of nose work. Uh, so thank you for your time today for doing this. Well, thank you for chatting with me. And now I'll pass by in like 15 minutes. It was fun. Absolutely. Uh, let's see what happens. Absolutely. Well, everybody, that concludes this episode of Canines Talking Sense, where it's okay to be nosy. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs>